Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. What a beautiful song. That's a great need that we have, isn't it? What Paul said, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and that means that you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. We're not our own anymore. Not if we're born to give believers. We are not our own anymore. We, we belong to the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owe a debt we cannot pay. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that tonight, and I'm thankful for your presence here once again. Uh, God bless you for coming out this evening, and we'll try to get you out of here in good time tonight so you can go home and enjoy the rest of the evening before you go to bed. I tell you, I love it up here in northern Indiana and southern Michigan. It's, it's, it's like you said, so beautiful right now. I come across 80 from Chicago and come across the Indiana border and, and just, I mean, the, the scenery just opened up. As I took pictures while I was driving and sent them to my family. I know I shouldn't do that, but I did it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just couldn't get over how gorgeous it was. I figured the leaves would be all gone by now. I really did. Uh, pretty much, but here they are, still still beautiful, and I'm thankful for that. I get to see that once again, as I did oftentimes in Indiana and Ohio, so southern Indiana. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. And I begin reading at verse 18. I'd really like to read the whole chapter. There's so much in here. Actually, the whole book. <laughs> There's so much in here. Uh, but I'll start at verse 18. Little children, John says, it is the last time. You believe that? It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, he says. He's coming. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They identifies the spirit of Antichrist. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. John's very, very bold to point out that anybody that denies the relationship between the Father and the Son is Antichrist. That, that's a bold statement. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto, you, written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, the Holy Spirit. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as he hath taught you, you shall abide in him. 
And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, we know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Father God, I thank you tonight for the reading of your word, and I pray that the Holy Spirit, again, Lord, would take the word to our hearts. Help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives, that we can take the word in and, and not only be hearers of the word, Father, but be doers of the word as you've taught us. And so, God, I thank you tonight just for the power of the word. It is alive and powerful tonight, and I praise you for that. It will not return void, as Isaiah said. It will accomplish for the purpose that it was set forth, Lord. So I thank you for that tonight. And again, I thank you that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So the title of the message this evening, if you want a title, is The Confident and the Unashamed. The Confident and the Unashamed. And this is, an, this is supposed to be an encouragement message tonight, that we can be confident and unashamed. Verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him that we, when he appears... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him it is coming. So we want to be confident and unashamed when Jesus comes back. Amen? And so I, I just want to begin by highlighting the simple truth and, and, and emphasizing the simple truth that Jesus is coming back. He really is. John doesn't say if he shall appear. He says when he shall appear. We need to have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So Jesus is coming back. Uh, he will appear. It's interesting how the emphasis of that truth comes and goes in waves in recent church history. You know, back in 1948, we weren't here. I wasn't here anyway, anyway at that time, but Israel became a nation. And so a lot of people began to think, you know what? The return of Jesus must be very soon because that's prophesied in the scriptures. We need to get ready for Jesus to come back. And then there was a six-day war after that, I think in 1967, where more land was obtained. And then, you know, uh, how many of you remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988? That caused quite a stir in the Mennonite church. I mean, people were being revived because guess what? Jesus is coming back this year in 1988. Well, don't set dates. That's the wrong thing to do anyway. But it was pretty convincing what, what the guy wrote. I read it, and uh, it had me wondering, was Jesus really coming back this year? So we, we tend to get ready when we think Jesus is coming back. And so then we had the Gulf Wars. We have Y2K. Uh, surely some of you remember that. <laughs> and 9-11. Right? All events that cause people to think, well, you know, the coming of Christ might be getting near. We need to get ready. And then more recently, Trump moving the, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You know, that was a pretty, pretty bold move on his part. And then Russia uh, establishing military bases in Syria, a neighbor of Israel. You know, that had me thinking of Ezekiel 38, right? Gog and Magog. Russia coming down with a military campaign against Israel. We need to get ready. Prophecy is being fulfilled. 
And then we had the Abraham Peace Accords uh, where Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and United Arab Emirates uh, signed peace agreements with Israel. That's unheard of in the Arab world. We need to get ready. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And so we need to be thinking about that. We need to be alert to prophecy being fulfilled. So we'll be ready. Verse 18, it says, It is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. That is, the person of Antichrist will come. There are many Antichrists now, John said, but there's one coming. He specified that Antichrist shall come in the last time. I personally believe I would be surprised if the Antichrist is not living today in the world today. I would be surprised. The stage is certainly being sent, set for him to, to make his move. And when he does make his move, when he does make his appearance to world power and uh, so forth, world acceptance, then the Bible says the true Christ is going to come. Jesus Christ will appear. Daniel says it in Daniel 7, Daniel 11, Daniel 12. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, Mark 13. Paul says it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelations 12 to 14, say it. The order of events leading up to Christ's return are spelled out for us, I believe, in Scripture. We talked about this last night, didn't we? And you don't have to believe what I believe, but you do have to be ready. You do have to be ready. And so, what? Jesus talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about earthquakes, famines, pestilences. Surely COVID's not one of those. The great falling away, the apostasy that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So much deception. Jesus talked about that too. Jesus talked about the love of many waxing cold. Oh my goodness. Love in this world today is almost non-existent. Even among families. Then the Antichrist comes to world power. He comes as a peacemaker. He signs a peace treaty with Israel. The temple is rebuilt. Unparalleled persecution of Christians from the middle of the tribulation period when that takes place. Lying wonders in the mark of the beast. And near the end, I believe, of the seven-year period, the signs in heaven that Jesus talked about, the sun darkened, the moon becomes of blood, the stars of heaven fall to the earth. The powers of heaven are shaken. That's, that's brought out probably five times in the Old Testament and three or four times in the New Testament. The powers of heaven will be shaken. I don't know what that's going to be like. And then the last trumpet, and then Jesus will appear in the clouds. He said it like this in Matthew 24, 30, 31. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather his elect. I believe that's you and I, the believers. We're often called elect in the Bible, in the New Testament. He will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. I don't know why I can't call that the rapture. 
But the question is, are you ready? Suppose he appears today, this evening. Are we ready? You know, I hope I'm wrong about some of those things. I told Merle and Heidi last night. I hope I'm wrong about some of those things because I'd much rather Jesus just come back and we don't have to go through anything. But I, I try to believe the other way. I'm sorry, but I can't. But, and so, are you ready? Are, are you, will you be confident and unashamed if Jesus would appear now? Or as other scriptures put it, would there be this certain fearful, fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation when Jesus comes back, if he appeared? And someone might reason, you know, preacher, there's, there's still no antichrist. There's still no unparalleled persecution. I've seen the temple being rebuilt yet. All these things haven't taken place yet, so yeah, I may not be ready, but I, could, I still have some time to make some spiritual adjustments in my life. Do we have time? We don't have time. We don't have a clue if we have time or not. Like I said this morning, the brevity of life, you know, we don't know when we're going to take our last. Does anybody know when you're going to take your last breath? It's, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We don't know when that appointment is. God sets that appointment for us. We don't know when it is. And that's one appointment I've canceled many, especially dentist appointments. I hate them. But I'm not going to cancel my appointment with death, and you're not either. And we don't know when that's going to be. There are so many. You read the papers. There are so many unexpected, untimely deaths that take place every day in this world, in the Christian community. We don't know if we have time or not. So people talk about, well, if, if you don't say Jesus is coming back today or tomorrow, then you don't believe in the imminent return of Christ. Sure I do. Sure I do. <laughs> we have to be ready at all times because he's going to come for us and we don't know when. It may not be when he appears in the clouds, but he's going to come for us when we leave this life, when we take our last breath. He's here for you. Are you ready? That's my question tonight. Are you ready? When he appears, if it's today for you, will you be confident and unashamed or shrink away at his coming? You say, how can I be sure? Can I be sure that I am ready, that I'll be confident and unashamed? Yes, I think we can be sure. I, I totally believe we can be sure. John says, verse 28, and now little children, listen, abide in him. Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be shamed before him at his coming. So you want to be sure that you're ready when Jesus comes back? John says, abide in him. Abide in him. That's the answer, to abide in Jesus. Are you abiding in Jesus? I mean, how can we even know that if we're abiding in Jesus? What are the characteristics of those who are abiding in Jesus? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. The characteristics of those who are abiding in Jesus, who when he comes back, then we will be confident and we will not be ashamed before him and his coming. Because I believe there's going to be a lot of people when Jesus comes back that are going to be red-faced, embarrassed, ashamed, totally ashamed of the life they're living when he returns. They're not abiding in him. So how do we know if we're abiding in him? And I think John gives us some, some characteristics here 
in, a lot of them are right here in chapter two, but they're in other chapters here too. So we're going to look at some of these characteristics tonight. Really, I want to point out three of them. And number one is to abide in Jesus is to be true, to be faithful to our initial born again experience. To be faithful to our initial born again experience. Verse 24 says, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you will continue in the Son and in the Father. That simply means that the same truth about Jesus that we initially believed and put our faith in, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. And he came here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to take care of our sin problem. If we hadn't had a sin problem, Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to come, amen? But he came to take care of our sin problem and he died on the cross of Calvary and shed his, his unstained, unblemished blood, that priceless blood. He took our place so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And he rose again the third day and he ascended into heaven and there he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as our high priest until God says, it's time. It's time for you to come back. And we put our faith and trust in that. The plan of salvation that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And we were baptized and we were upon that confession of faith and we were born again. And now John says, remain true. Remain true to what you believed from the beginning. Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? He's looking for faith when he comes back. The, the faith that we had in him when we put our faith and trust in him, we need to make sure that continues to abide in us. Look at, look at chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, if you will. I love this portion of Scripture. He, he, well, I'll start with 10. He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. That would make him an antichrist. And this is the record that God hath given, us, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if we have the Son, if we have faith in Jesus, we have life. But look at the next verse. These things that I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, what? That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. I love that verse. You know, we've had some Amish people come into our church and and I take them through, some of them, the younger ones anyway, through the instruction class, and we come to this verse. And I say, you know what? You can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to hope. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. No, God doesn't want that. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. You don't have to just, oh, I hope so. And I have never seen people just, just be freed up in their spirit when they understand this, that we can know that we have eternal life. We really can. If we are continuing to believe 
in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and live for him. There's no reason for us to not think that we have eternal life. In fact, it's said again in, in our text, and this is the promise, verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. God's not going to take that promise away from us so we continue to believe in him. No. We have eternal life, folks. If we're born-again Christians believing in Jesus, we have confidence. We're unashamed. Look again at the verse 24. This is an amazing verse. Verse 24. Let that therefore, King James, this is King James, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. The interesting thing is, he really says the same thing three times in that verse. Because abide in, remain in, and continue in all come from the same Greek word, meno. And so really, and the New American Standard reads it like this. Let that therefore abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. Uses the same word all three times. I like that better than the King James Version because it comes from the very same word, meno. Meno means abide. And so, you know, if you want to take that and run with it and milk it for all it's worth, Guess what? The official denomination of the real church is Mennonites. <laughs> because in order to have eternal life, you have to abide in Jesus, and that word is Menno. Therefore, they are Mennonites. Right? I like that. It's not about Menno Simons. It's about abiding in Jesus. So you can keep, keep your... That's okay. Riverview Christian Fellowship, that's good if you're abiding in Jesus because then you're Benedites anyway. You can't get away from it. Can't get away from it. I know you're not trying to get away from it. I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. We're, we may change the name because it is, you know, some people wonder, what are Mennonites? And then we have different branches of Mennonites that, you know, that put up walls that people don't want to come in. And so we don't want that. We want people to abide in Jesus. So, number one, basically, if we've truly believed, put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, and we continue to believe that, we continue to abide in that, then we have eternal life, and we will not be ashamed. That We'll be confident when he comes again. Number two, John reveals that we can know we're abiding in Jesus when we keep his word. Or keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 3 verse 24 says, And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandment. That's verse 23. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. That's he that keepeth his commandments menos in him and he in him. Who is that person? that is abiding in Jesus, he that is keeping his commandments. He that is keeping his commandments. Um, chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Or verses 3, 4, and 5. 
And hereby we do know that we know him, what? If we keep his commandments. He that says I know him and doesn't keep his commandments isn't telling the truth. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So there again, we know that we are in him, abiding in him, if we keep his commandments. Amen. Isn't that clear? Now, I want to share four components of what it means to keep his commandments tonight. It it has more than one one, uh, aspect to it, keeping his commandments. So, first of all, to have his words... It means to have his word always in front of us as a guiding principle in our life. It's like Jesus, or what God instructed the Israelites back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, where he said, Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And so the Orthodox Jews still practice this. And we saw this when we were in Israel back in 1995, I think it was. But they would take these boxes and they would strap them to their heads and they have them on their foreheads. And in these boxes were Bible verses or scroll verses, whatever, from the Old Testament, obviously. But then they would pray and, and you know, they, they, yeah, it, it really looked funny to watch that. But that's what God instructed them to do. That's, that's what they thought God was instructing them to do. Have them the word as frontless before their eyes so that's right in front of them so they're seeing the world through the word of God. And really that's what we're to do. We're to practice keeping God's word right in front of us as a guiding principle of our life and so that we see life through the lens of God's word. That's keeping God's word. And it's only possible, I believe, as we spend time studying God's word, reading God's word every day, memorizing God's word, meditating, meditating upon God's word. And I just wonder, how big is your phylactery? Because that's what they're called, those boxes. They're called phylacteries. How, how big is your phylactery? So that you can see, actually see through the lens of God's word as you're encountering life every day. Secondly, keeping his commandments means following Jesus as our example. Verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, he that saith he is the Mennonite, ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. You see, Jesus was the word of God on two feet. Jesus exemplified God's word to us. You want to know how to live out the commandments? Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow his steps, Peter said. He's, he left us an example that we should follow his steps. In fact, Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. That's what John 1 says. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and however that goes. But then it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus was the word of God. And then keeping his commandments means, thirdly, relying on the Holy Spirit to teach us its truths. Because we really can't understand the scriptures without the Holy Spirit's help. But it says here in verse, chapter 2, verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abides in you. 
You need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as he had taught you, you shall abide in him. So without the Holy Spirit's help, we cannot, we cannot understand the scriptures. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, what, chapter 2? The, 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 the person for the world can't understand the scriptures. That's what he says. You can't understand the scriptures. You have to have the spirit. God reveals them to us by his spirit. To the worldly person out there, it's foolishness. But the Holy Spirit reveals it to us so that it makes sense to us. And so we can actually share it with them. And maybe the Holy Spirit can use us to make it make sense to them. But, you know, he, here he teaches us all things, it says. And his truth and is no lie. Jesus said in John 16, 13, How be it when the Holy Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. So we need the Holy Spirit's help. And, and I, I, I can actually say that I never, in my devotion time, open the word of God in the mornings without asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word to me, to help me to understand it and to apply it to my life. I know I must have the Holy Spirit's help to understand God's word. And then finally, keeping his commandments means obeying them, simply obeying his commandments. And we know what that means. Doing what his commandments say to do or not doing what they say not to do. Did I say that right? I hope so. But chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Well, first verse 4. Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Some versions say sin is lawlessness. Or just living life without the commandments. Living life without the law. Anarchy, in other words. And you know that he was manifest, Jesus was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him, that's Mennonite, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, don't let any man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. But he that committeth sin is the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of of the devil. I believe the Bible is crystal clear on this, this thing of keeping his commandments. We must keep his commandments in order to be abiding in Jesus. We can't just run and do our own thing and just pay no heed to the commandments of, of God and of Jesus Christ and say we're abiding in Jesus. Whoever abideth in him does not sin does not practice sin. Doesn't mean he will never sin. Means he does not habitually practice sin and knowing he is sinning and continues to practice sin. Verse eight, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Verse seven, let no man deceive you. And I tell you, there is a lot of deception come into the church today where all you need to do is just have that profession. I profess Jesus as my savior and Lord and I go live the way I want to and I'm okay, I'm going to heaven. That's not what God says. That's not what the Bible says. Amen? We need to keep his commandments. We should want to keep his commandments. I do want to keep his commandments to please him. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. Well, those who keep his word abide in him and will face Jesus unashamed. Number three, quickly, 
John writes, we can know we are abiding in, in Jesus if we continue in love for one another. Love is a must. Chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Well, very 7 and 8, we know that very well because of a little chorus. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not doesn't know God, right? Because God is love. So we can't claim to know God because if we don't love one another because God is love. But look at verses 11 to 13. Beloved, if God so loved us, which you just talked about in verses 9 and 10, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and we in him. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. And then he's given us of his spirit. You know, before we had the Holy Spirit, we really couldn't love. I really don't think I loved you. I didn't know how to love without the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 8, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, right? Now we have the power, the desire to love each other, to really care for each other. And I love the love that I see in this church. I see love in our church. And I, I see love in this church. I see Christian fellowship happening. I see encouragement taking place in this church. Just a short time I've been here. That's what love is all about. And that's a sign that we're abiding in Jesus. And Jesus is abiding in us. It really is. And so... I just want to point out that in order to keep his commandments, we can't do that in our own strength either. We need the Holy Spirit. In order to love one another, we need the Holy Spirit. And look at chapter 5. They really go together. Verse 2, 3, and 4. Or verse 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. We love each other. When we love God and we keep his commandments... For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. And so, because the love of God is in us, it's not hard to keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome to us because love keeps his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The, the two are intertwined. They're synonymous. They're together. You can't separate the love of God from keeping his commandments. If we have the love of God, we will keep his commandments. Now, just turning closing, if you will, to Romans chapter 13. It makes it so clear the correlation between love for one another and keeping the commandments of God. Romans 13. Verse 8. 9 and 10. Paul says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He's talking about the commandments there. We know that because of the next verse. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. 
And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 10, love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love fulfills the law. You see, if I say I love you and I commit adultery against you or I steal from you or I lie to you, I break any of God's commandments, it's just proof I don't really love you because love will work no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the commandments. I will not do those things because I love you. So if, if we really love each other, we won't break those commandments because they're there for our protection. They're there because God loves us and he wants to experience life to the full, not to experience what Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. He wants us to fulfill life, to experience life to the full. So we can know we are abiding in Jesus. We can know we'll have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we are faithful, if we continue in our initial born-again experience where we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we have just as much faith and trust, probably more as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we grow in that relationship, so we probably have more faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And we know we cannot save ourselves. And we know that by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We cannot boast about our salvation unless we're boasting in Jesus. We can't say we've done it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we continue in that faith, we are abiding in Jesus. We will not be ashamed before him at his coming. We'll be confident. And if we keep his commandments, we will abide in him. As we keep them as frontlets between our eyes, we follow Jesus' steps, his example of the word. And we just simply obey the commandments. We live in them. We walk in them. And we love one another in deed and truth. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you people here at Riverview are his disciples if you love one another. And I know you do. Jesus is coming back, isn't he? I want to be ready. I want to be confident. That, that doesn't mean boastful or something like that. It just means confident, unashamed when he comes back, loving his appearing. Just hurry up, Jesus. I want you to come back. I want to have that kind of a attitude towards the second coming of Jesus. I want to love his appearing. And I know you do too. I wonder if we could just sing. I don't know if God is speaking to you and somebody wants to respond at the altar tonight. Doesn't he have to be about anything I've said or talked about tonight or even this morning? It could be something else on your heart that you just want to respond to the altar and, and have somebody pray with you tonight about a, something going on in your life, something you need, something you're struggling with. I just think it, it's good to have the altar open for people to respond if they want to. And I won't be one bit offended if you don't. It's not about me. It's between you and the Lord.
okay? So could we just sing a verse or two of just as I am, just quietly, and if you feel like responding, feel free to come to the altar while we're singing. But let's pray first. Father God, I thank you for your precious word tonight. I thank you, God, most of all, that you want us to know that we have eternal life. You don't want us guessing or hoping. We can know. I thank you that you've told us that. And so I pray, God, we will just have that that desire to just be abiding in you, Jesus, in you and us. And I pray, Lord, that we will practice what John wrote in the scriptures in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, reveal things in our lives that we may need to be working on to be abiding in Jesus and not be confident and not be ashamed before he's your coming. I thank you that you are coming. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. John wrote in Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Help us to be ready when you do come. Help us to be helping others to get ready when you come. But God, tonight, if you're speaking to hearts about anything tonight, I pray that people will just be free. Just be free to come and meet you at the altar. It's a wonderful experience to meet you at the altar. I've been there many times. I thank you, Father, for meeting me at the altar so many times and just ministering to my needs. So I thank you, Father God, for working among us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we sing?